Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. We're posting a little bit later this week because I've been traveling. We've had the fall break thing and all that kind of stuff going on. Today we are looking at Exodus 32, 1 through 14, which really continues this narrative of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. They're standing between the miracle and the promise. They're between the Red Sea and the land in the middle of nowhere. And in this place, as we've seen, they get hungry and thirsty and angry and lonely and tired. Even on the surface, our reading has a certain relatable quality to it. Though not to the extent of those who live their lives in the wilderness, we all have experienced times of great need, haven't we? We may know the story of God's faithfulness. We may even believe or at least struggle to believe or try to believe that God will always lead his people to a good place. But what about when God's work in our lives and in the world is really difficult to see? Last week, if you remember, our Old Testament reading was the giving of the Ten Commandments, which was part of the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then the children of Israel agreed to this covenant. God then calls Moses to go back on the mountain. That's in Exodus 24. And while on the mountain, he gives them a very detailed guideline for building the tabernacle, which is this like mobile home for God's presence. And you can see all these details in Exodus 25 through 31. But while Moses is on the mountain, God tells him that something that's been unfolding at the Israelite camp, while he was gone, the people already built something on their own. So there's something really ironic here. God has just laid out for Moses chapter after chapter after chapter these detailed plans for his dwelling place where he's going to live. And this is all about process and artistry and everything about it is symbolic and meaningful. But while he's doing that, Israel, by their own initiative, takes all of their gold and builds an idol. It's like a rush job. The reading tells us that the people were growing impatient because Moses was gone for a long time. And you can understand why. I mean, like I said, God tells Moses about the tabernacle that he wants him to build for chapter after chapter after chapter. It goes on for a long time. Intricate detail. Think about it. God's people are in the desert. They can't see the hand of God. They get impatient. Still, to most of us, the idea that people would create a God out of gold earrings <laughs> seems ridiculous. Why would you trade the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who delivered you from Egypt? Why would you trade that God for a calf made out of gold? We read this and we're enlightened people, right? We don't worship golden calves. That's ridiculous and primitive. But Israel didn't believe they were creating a new God with this golden calf. No, they were desperate to see the one true God. They were desperate for a move of God. They felt lonely and scared. So they turned to their priest and they said, make us something. They turned their gold, the stuff that they had, the stuff that was near to them. Some commentators say that it's likely that they thought of this calf as a messenger of the one true God. 
Still, we might throw all the blame at Aaron, even, wondering what the heck this priest is thinking. After all, he's Moses' brother. He's been through the Red Sea. He ought to know better. And the reading tells us Aaron still thinks that they are worshiping the one true God, the one who delivered them out of Egypt. So after this golden calf is created, he proclaims a festival to the Lord, to Yahweh. So the thinking here is not, God has failed us, so we need to create another God. No, the belief is God has been silent. Let us find a way for him to appear in our midst, for that one true God to show up. We need him. Perhaps he's in our pretty gold and our creativity. So suddenly then God appears to them as a golden calf. Well, in reality, they manufacture a move of God. For us, this begs a question. Where do we turn when we are in places of need? Where do we turn when we want a miracle? Where do we turn when we do not feel God? We are particularly vulnerable to looking for a movement of God today in our political tribes. It's particularly difficult because politics are not unimportant. Christians are called to protect the vulnerable, to look out for the marginalized. It is therefore necessary to engage in conversations in the public square. It's important to speak truth to power. And the Christian faith has a long history of doing just that. Christians are not apolitical. At the same time, we recognize that neither our political tribe nor our nation will ever be the ultimate hope for the world. So politics will always be messy and imperfect. It's easy to make politics our golden calf simply because it's right in front of us. That feels easier to manipulate and control. But it's not just politics we're tempted to worship. When we find ourselves hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we easily turn to influence, money, performance, status, because they're right in front of us. They feel easy to control. The consistent calling of the Christian is to remind ourselves and each other and the world that our hope is in God and he has not given up on us. In response to their idolatry, God is incensed, and you can imagine why. They've broken this newly established covenant already before Moses has even come down from the mountain. Their commitment from a faithful God to his people formed by love, they have already broken that. Notice God's anger when he tells Moses what the people are up to. He says, go down because your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Notice that just a few chapters earlier, God called them my people who I brought out of Egypt. I think about like a parent who's very angry with their child's behavior and they say to the other parent, go get your child. <laughs> God is deeply hurt. So God says to Moses that he's going to wipe his people out and start over again with Moses himself. I think about the betrayal that God has felt here. The more intimate a relationship, the deeper the hurt and the more severe the consequences. God feels pain here and he's experienced it over and over again. In fact, I think the impulse to wipe out Israel may show us God's great love for Israel. He's deeply hurt and he feels that he feels all that goes along with deep hurt. 
because he's been betrayed by his great love. So Moses contends with God. His argument, God, these are your people and you are faithful. Moses reminds God of Israel's story, that he delivered them and set them free. Now, it's not that God needed to be reminded of what he's done, but this process of reminding God of his character and reputation and nature is a way that God is inviting Moses into God's grief. God grieves the broken relationship here, and that means God grieves. Only someone who loves something a lot can really grieve. Sometimes we can think about this story in sterile theological terms. We raise important questions like, why would God want to say that he would destroy people like this? Isn't God loving? Wait, does Moses change God's mind? Does God change? Well, these questions are beyond our ability to understand. But central to the story is that God loves us so much that even when we turn our back on him, it hurts, like any betrayal really hurts. So God invites his people to contend with him. That tells us something, I believe, about prayer. That prayer is not just wishing on a star. That God invites us to participate in his work in the world through prayer. We are to wrestle with God, contend with God, lament, and cry out. So Moses says, what would the Egyptians say if God destroyed his people? What would the nations say? After all, this whole project is about God sharing himself with the world, blessing and healing the whole world. What about the promises you have bound yourself by? Moses contends on the basis of God's character, God's saving nature. In some sense, based on their behavior, it would be appropriate to abandon them, but God will not do that. So God relents. He chooses faithfulness to his own promises, even though he knows that that is going to cost him. God proves himself time and time again to be faithful to his people. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.